When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Tugabaloa to throw. Back of the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Irv Smith in the back of the end zone for the score. All right, welcome to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. We have a Zolgad here with us as well to react, to break down, to take your phone calls. I plan on being, at least for one part of one segment, the Viking Twitter guy who doesn't believe the Vikings ever did anything right. And I need you guys to react to that. So lots of fun today. Sam Ekstrom from Zone Coverage is going to join us at 1245, talk a little draft, and Jordan Renan, who covers the New York Giants, at 1 o'clock. So we're going to talk about the Daniel Jones pick, what in the world the Giants are doing, do they have a competent general manager or not. So lots coming up here on the show. If you want to chime in, 651-646-8255. Something else to remember as well. If you are hearing this over the radio, you want more, or if you're in a place you can't get the signal, or you just want to know what Score North has to say about everything, uh, scorenorth.com. There is an app, the Score North app. It's very easy. You go to your app store, you type in Score North, S K O R North, and boom, you can listen to us anywhere, get articles, podcasts, all those things. So I want to throw all of that out there and then say to you, Courtney Cronin and Judd Zolgad, grade this draft, my friends. Grade it. Are we talking Vikings draft? Are we doing like A through F grade, or can we do it basically satisfactory, average, below average? Oh. I'd rather go with superlatives like that. Okay. Do you guys sure. need like a big voice intro for this too? Because I can Why certainly not? provide. Why that. not? It's been a minute, Manny. Why grade not? the draft. That's perfect and aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, this morning I was looking at NFL.com. They did like quick snapshots of each round, and in a very unobjective fashion, nobody got. Below a C, I think uh, for one of the for uh, each respective round, I believe the Giants because there were points where we didn't know what they were doing, what Dave Gettleman was doing. They got a C plus for one round, but the Vikings, I believe, was A for the first round, which I agree with. B or A for the second round, which I also second and third day two. I think day three was a B plus. I don't agree with day three. <laughs> So now they're breaking it down. I, I thought the whole point of the Monday exercise was, was to grade the entire draft and give it one grade. So now we're breaking it down By into round. three different rounds. By okay. day, yeah. I will say I kind of agree with that, though, because the first two rounds are players that make an impact on your team. Sure. Three through seven is who's going to just maybe be a part of your team as a special teamer and then develop. So I understand the way we're looking at that. But what superlative would you like to use then, Corey? I'll give it above average. There's some people out there who are saying this is the best draft that Rick Spielman has ever had. And I do understand if you're looking at the top heavy, basically rounds one through five. It's okay to think that that is a really, really good draft and like the way that those picks panned out outside of the first two who are going to be immediate impact players. I think Alexander Madison is a good pick. I know that we've got some flack on this from the Purple Podcast the other day. I don't know if that was the right pick at the right time. But then again, the run on running back started in the third round. So I play devil's advocate when I look at that. I just think they should finally go with a receiver a little bit higher than they have. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to find a Stephon Diggs in the fifth round or below. It just the likelihood of that happening is not very realistic. And I feel like this is another Stacy Coley, Rodney Adams type wide receiver draft that they got these guys in the seventh round. 
But if I'm looking at it beyond that, there was a lot of draft capital that was went unused and they just got guys that they wanted. And it really, I think, helps you in terms of not having to sign 25 free agents where you can get guys that you that you can base on analytics. You can base it on a lot of things where you expect guys who might have been people you brought into rookie minicamp on either a tryout basis or as free agents. You can use them as you know draftees and kind of save yourself that way. But I, I don't know. I struggle with the last part of the draft just because it seems like, yes, you do need to trade up. And I understand if you can't find a trade partner, that's hard. You can't do anything about that. But why are you trading back at 81 that many times when there are players at 81 in day two that would have been great fits for this team from wide receivers to defensive tackles to linebackers to cornerbacks right at that position that they didn't, they didn't go with that. I'm going to give it a um, special Zolgad grade, a oh. CS grade, standing for it was a common sense draft. They finally they finally used common sense. Classic Zolgad. Nobody threw four picks. Nobody decided to get cute. Yes. Nobody said, well, I, but we really like this linebacker and we got to take him. I think what the Vikings did in uh, 2019, which is what they probably sh- uh, should have done in 2018, which is say, okay, we've got our quarterback. How can we help him as much as possible? Mm-hmm. So those first four picks, all all taking offensive players, employed a degree of common sense. And I, I looked this up on Friday. Uh, taking for the first three picks, offense hadn't been done since Denny Green's second year, I believe, in 1993. And to find the first four picks, I think you have to go back to, like, the 70s or the 60s. But, yeah, I think the Vikings employed common sense saying – if we do this whole thing predicated on, you know, what's good for 2026, it's probably a bad move because we're, we're all going to be fired at some point soon. So with the it's not it's not that I love the players because we don't know completely there, but I do like the personnel decisions. I agree with that. And I agree with how the first four rounds panned out. No one tried to outsmart themselves like they did last year. Very much those first two picks were exactly the way that should have panned out last year. They needed an offensive lineman to replace Joe Berger. They needed a move tight end to compliment Kyle Rudolph, which now we don't know if he's even going to be here in 2019. Had they done this a year ago, who knows how things would have panned out. I think they were a year too late, but heck, at least they finally addressed it. Yeah. I think if you're going to ding the Vikings any points for the first two picks, or maybe we could extend this to three picks, it is just the pick management in terms of moving up, moving down. Why didn't you move back down with the Garrett Bradbury pick? This would be the only way that I could question the first two picks. Is just when you look at how the board had played out, if you move down Mm -hmm. even to 23, you're getting a really good offensive lineman no matter what. I think Dillard went at 22. So even if you moved back to that position, which I believe whoever was at 22 did trade with Eagles. the Eagles, so they traded yep. out of that pick. And and who knows who wants to trade up and who doesn't want to trade up. That, But that would be the nitpicky uh, criticism of the first round is you probably could move back a couple of spots and still get Garrett Bradbury or Andre Dillard, who is a really good left tackle prospect. And if you ended up with either one of those guys, you'd be in great shape. That would be one nitpicky criticism. The Irv Smith pick, some people thought that they reached a little bit with that one as well. And if you were just playing this out differently, let's say that you moved back even to the back of the first round. Let's just say. And someone else takes Garrett Bradbury. But you could also get Eric McCoy, who is a really good center, and pick up more picks or get another second-round pick. Or Irv Smith is a really good tight end prospect, but Jay Sternberger is also a really good tight end prospect. You know why I hate this? I hate this, and and we saw this happen on Friday night, and it continued into Saturday. Once Rick starts to get cute, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I'm serious. This is why I wanted somebody to stand behind Rick and say, through at least three picks, you're not doing anything. Because once he starts to get cute, and once we start to get this, well, I just moved this guy for that guy, it's almost like he can't help himself. And, and I'm joking, but I'm not. And so the Bradbury pick, I wanted them to have the best player that they felt was there and just take the damn pick. Okay, let me try another to be the person who just thinks the Vikings do everything wrong and pick this apart. Because we all agree that these two players are a great fit for what the team needs right now. But that would be that would be the other criticism would be if you're drafting for this year to hope that these guys step right in and are huge difference makers. Did you really pick the best player that was there at 18? The answer is probably no. Did you really pick the best player that was there at 50? That answer might also be no. 
And that would be where I would say when you have a general manager and a head coach feeling like things are getting hot in there, when you are desperate to win now with your roster and you expect these guys to come right in. And the way that Rick Spielman talked after the draft was he's going to fill this immediate need. He's going to fill this immediate need. And when we go back in recent history, we don't find too many guys who filled immediate needs. Pat Elfline in 2017, Brian O'Neill for half of a season last year. Laquan Treadwell did not at all. Mackenzie Alexander did not at all in their first season. Trey Wayans did not at all in his first season. I would say, I guess, Kendricks and Diggs kind of did in 2015. I mean, the point just being that it's hard to find people who are above average right away. So if you're trying to reach to take that guy, then that's where you could get yourself in trouble. So even though I do think that they landed good players to help them right now, more likely than not, it still is one of those sort of draft theory things that if you are stretching to take players to help you right now instead of the best player there, you could get yourself in trouble. Well, I'll, I'll continue on this, the skepticism part of the draft class. And when you take a look at this offensive line, one player does not change an entire unit. You, you can say he fixes something that we need at X position on the O-line. And we expect him to play center because it just makes more sense to move Pat Elfline over to left guard Start Josh Klein at right guard. Maybe Drew Samaya fills that position at some point in the 2019 season. But you're asking Kirk Cousins during the most pivotal season of his career um, to somehow manage, be managed behind an offensive line that you have a rookie, you have kind of a lower tier starter, and a bunch of other guys that are we sure Brian O'Neill is ready to just take on that position full time? He looked good last year, but let's not get crazy and act like he was a Pro Bowl right tackle. There's right. a lot of yep. there's a big theory out there that he had this phenomenal season. He didn't give up a sack. Well, take put the Pro Football fo- Focus stats aside on that, just because of that one outlier. That yes, he didn't give up a sack. There were a lot of times he looked really, really not great. He looked like a rookie, which you expect. Well, and he but, ranked 47th out of 61 for Pro Football Focus yes. grade. So even though he didn't give up a sack, he was getting beaten a lot. Yes, and that's you're still there's still is still a hodgepodge of an offensive line here. They didn't go their first two picks with offensive line just like the Colts did last year, which is why I think there's the belief out there that if you are going to fix the offensive line, like truly, truly fix it, that that's going that that's the strategy you have to employ. But I do like that they addressed it and they stopped dancing around it because they thought instead of thinking, oh, we can trade back from 18 and maybe we'll get the guy that we want at 23 or 24. Bradbury's probably gone by then. Andre Dillard at that point. I mean, who knows? Like, they, I think that you have to give them credit for taking this thing head on, at least in the first two rounds. And as I was looking back at like the running back, because I know that we've gotten some flack on saying that that was a bad pick. No one's saying it's a bad pick. What, what's, what's unfortunate here is you like Latavius Murray so much, but you couldn't afford to pay him because your quarterback uh, was tying up so much against the salary cap that that's, that stinks for them. That really is tough. So they are trying to fill voids of players that they had before because of their financial issues. There were still some guys there in the fourth round. Um, they picked Madison with the last pick in the third round on Friday, which was pick number 102. So they were at 81, and I'm looking up all the players that they passed on from 81 to 102. They had Nate Davis, who was another offensive lineman that you could have picked there, and then maybe you dedicate the fourth-round pick to running back. Um, there were several defensive ends in there. There was, you know, cornerbacks. There was, you know, a whole host of guys that they could have filled instead of running back. And I'm not saying running back's not an important position, but you did find two guys that allegedly you really liked, and you signed them on a college free tr- college uh, free agent tryout last year. Mm-hmm. Who's to say you couldn't have done that same thing this year? They did, I, I think, the best that they could possibly do, given the circumstances of having painted themselves into this corner. So it's not a praise. It's a you had to do something here. And those first two picks address needs here. And and this is not saying because the offensive line conversation until Rick's last day here will come down to, to the fact that he neglected that position for this long. Like this was done as a panic. But that being said, what was the choice? You, you don't have the cap room to go out and sign, guys. You had no choice but to do what they did, where my faith in them was lacking was until Friday into Saturday, I didn't know for sure that this team would do that because there have been so many times that they decide to get creative and cute and hurt themselves. So so this is not a praise. This is a saying, at least you did a decent job of appearing to address something that you had ignored for far too long. 
So I'm just poking around here, looking at Mel Kuyper's big board, Pro Football Focus's big board, and if you're going to be critical of the Garrett Bradbury pick, and I personally think when you see a center drafted this high, it normally means that they're a pretty darn good player. And I looked back at centers who were drafted in the first and second round, how they did right away, and there's a lot of good examples of especially Travis Frederick, the guy from uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who was a surprising first-round pick. A lot of people criticized it, and then he's turned into a tremendous player and was great right away. So a lot of high-drafted centers, true centers, not guys who played center and guard and they play guard in the NFL, but true centers uh, have done pretty well when they start in their first year, including Pat Elfline in 2017, who I thought was very good for a a big portion of that season until some injuries got uh, a hold of him. But Mel Kuyper didn't have Garrett Bradbury as his first center on his big board. He had Eric McCoy as the top center. And Pro Football Focus on their big board had Garrett uh, Garrett Bradbury as the 41st best player in this draft. And it's not that any big board ever matches up perfectly with how the draft goes, but because of needs and things like that, and maybe a team's scouts see things a lot differently than what Pro Football Focus sees or what Mel Kuyper sees. So it's always going to be some difference. It's just, I think it leads to the question of everyone likes Garrett Bradbury as the pick because it's an offensive lineman and it solves an immediate need on the interior. Mm-hmm. But did they overdraft the hell out of Garrett Bradbury when Eric McCoy, who Mel Kuyper had higher, ended up with the 48th pick? This is to me a pick, and this is not a good thing, but the Bradbury pick to me reeks of plug and play immediately. Exactly. And, but, yeah, but that's, that's my but, point. Yeah. But, but they could have taken. Their concern, which you, you brought up a bunch in the past two weeks, Collar, was very simple. We said, oh, left tackles. Get a 10-year left tackle. They said, well, yeah, that's great, but year one, he's probably not going to be great. Reef, Reef is probably a better immediate left tackle that, than a guy that you would draft and in three years might be fantastic. So I think what we're seeing here is they, on their board, their board realistically had nothing to do with anything beyond 2019. Their board had to do with who can we take, who's the smartest, who's going to step in here, and from day one, we think can start and be pretty good. Well, what has Mike Zimmer been preaching for the last six, seven months? Run the football. These moves all reflect wanting to run the football. All the moves in the first four rounds, because you have two offensive linemen that you think, you have one who's going to be an immediate starter, one who's going to be a swing guy at minimum, I think, unless he can beat out Josh Klein. Because, I mean, let's let's not oversell the Josh Klein thing. I mean, the guy was a lower-tier starter, cast off from Tennessee, who had a really bad season. And, yeah, he had $7.25 million guaranteed. Like, he's going to play. But there's no belief in me that he is the clear-cut starter for the entire season at right guard. But then Irv Smith with blocking needs to get better at it, but could be very effective in the run. And then you have a running back who's Latavius Murray, allegedly part two. All four of those picks reflect what Zimmer wants to do on offense. All of the offseason moves of the coaching staff reflect what Zimmer wants to do on offense, an outside zone scheme that creates cutback lanes and, and allows Dalvin Cook to do what he does best. But where I have pause on this whole thing is just really taking a look at the whole picture here. And do these moves reflect a need down the line? No. And I mean, I think with the 18th pick, you're always supposed to be, if you're drafting in the first round, you're drafting for the future. In my opinion, you should be taking the best player available. Was Garrett Bradbury the best player available? To what they want to do offensively in the offensive line? Yes. Because you don't have to play musical chairs anymore. You don't have to go take a tackle, move Brian O'Neill to left tackle, move Riley Reef inside to left guard, and you have this freaking hodgepodge, which is just annoying. Like, it just stop overcomplicating things. Draft the guy for the position, put him in there day one, see how it works. Stop trying to move guys around because that's what this offensive line has gotten really cute about the last few years. Moving guys in and out of position, well, let's try him here. He's a tackle in college. Jonah Williams had 47 starts, 48 starts at left tackle at Alabama, and teams are talking about moving him to guard. Just play him in his natural position. What is the problem here? That's what irritates me about... All of these front offices and all these teams getting cute trying to think that you can move guys out of position. The NFL game is very different from the college football game. I understand that. But offensive line, you're talking about technique. You're talking about footwork. You're talking about movement. You're talking about hand placement. All these things that differ from position to position. And I'm glad. Honestly, I'm very glad that they took Garrett Bradbury because it was a smart 
Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's play him where he needs to be played, which is either at center or right guard or in either guard position. But, I mean, I think center is where his best fit is. And just keep it moving. Stop overcomplicating things because I think that's what the team did last year in the draft. And that's why things, by and large, played a role in the way the 2018 season ended the way it did. All right, let's take a quick break. We will come back. I want to ask, how much did the Vikings help Kirk Cousins? Through the draft. We will discuss. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Drink the Purple Punch. It burns your insides and it makes your eyes water. Purple Daily on Score North. Scorenorth.com. Of the 34, Fresno State. It is Madison hopping through some people. Is this the big play finally? Alexander Madison. Touchdown. Got a little heated there at the end of the last segment, talking about the offensive line and some of the picks the Vikings made uh, rounds one through four. All offensive focus all the time the first two days. You were worked up. I was worked out. And here's the thing. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, rain on anybody's parade. They did what they had to do. I gave them an A for those first two rounds because, by and large, what did they say they wanted to do all offseason? Run the ball. Protect Kirk Cousins better. At least you addressed it. Mm-hmm. Whether these picks pan out, I mean, heck, you did what you said that you wanted to do, and your picks support it. But now, turning it into 2019, how much did the Vikings really help Kirk Cousins? Because right now, we're talking about a bunch of offensive rookies that are going to be relied on to come in and help him from your first-round pick in Garrett Bradbury, probably starting at center, and then Alexander Madison being able to take some of the load for Dalvin Cook um, and, and kind of help just in having a different type of rusher there. And or Irv Cook, Smith. Or if Cook gets hurt. Or if Cook gets which, hurt. Which, by the way, there happens. Are, there are durability issues there. Yes. And then with a guy like Irv Smith, I think the most important thing I saw from the first two days or heard was Rick Spielman saying that that's a, he has Jordan Reed type trait. He wasn't going to go ahead and crown him as you know type of tight end that Jordan Reed is and how many years he's been in the league. But Jordan Reed played with Kirk Cousins during his best season, Matthew, in Washington in 2015. Mm -hmm. And this team, despite what's out there of like, oh, well, they don't need a lot of weapons. I know Mike Zimmer said that he felt he was comfortable with the weapons that they had. They needed more weapons around Kirk Cousins. It's just, can you really rely on scheme and offensive rookies to help Kirk during the most pivotal season of his career? I couldn't help when you said, go ahead, you know, when you said crown him, you know, the Denny Denny Green. Green. Go ahead and crown him then. Uh, Where do you think I get that from? I know. So I took a look at the rookie centers who played in their first year who were drafted in the first three rounds. So assuming that if you were a fifth-round center and you played in the first uh, season, things probably went really bad for your team. But this would be under the category of they meant to do it. They meant to draft you and put you right in. Uh, There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven examples since 2013. I wanted to include Travis Frederick in this. And just looking at their pro football focus numbers from 1 to 100. Last year, Mason Cole was the only guy to be a full-time starting center, and his grade was a 50.9 for Arizona. Pat Elfline, 66.1. There are two guys who are over 80. Cody Whitehair, as we know from Chicago, is a very good player, and Travis Frederick. The rest are kind of all over the map. Ryan Kelly was a first-round pick, 72. Graham Glasgow was a 53. He was in 2016. Mitch Morse, who became a very good player, was a 70, but I guess my point is just that when it comes to fixing immediate needs, when you expect a second-round tight end to be Jordan Reed, or when you expect your first-round pick to be Travis Frederick, there is always the chance that there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done for that player to reach their highest-end potential. And when it comes to how much they helped Kirk Cousins, the answer is it has the potential to have helped Kirk Cousins a lot. Because if you subtract, I mean, Elfline, we know it wasn't entirely his fault because of his situation, but he was the worst center in the NFL last year with pro football focus numbers. And if you cut in half the pressures that he had and even give below average play, not the 29th ranked out of 29 who qualified, but instead the 15th, then you've taken a big step forward. And with Irv Smith, you instead of replacing Tyler Conklin with Irv Smith, you're really trying to replace Laquan Treadwell as a guy. Number three, your number three pass catcher. He's yeah. basically a number three receiver because this guy can't really block. So he has to be a number three receiving or number four receiving option, assuming that Kyle Rudolph is still here. And from that perspective, when Kirk Cousins was throwing 
at Laquan Treadwell, his rating last year was an 80.3. He was basically like, who would that be? Chad Henney. When he was throwing at Laquan Treadwell. And when he was throwing at anybody else, he had a rating well over 100. I'm going to give Kirk the benefit of the doubt there that that was not his fault, that his rating dipped that low. Well, no, that's exactly my point, is that when he was throwing <laughs> at Stefan Diggs, I've, I've got the numbers here exactly. When he was throwing at Stefan Diggs, it was 107. At Thielen, 115. At Rudolph, 113. And Treadwell, but- 80. But that's a product of, of the fact that Kirk is going to throw the ball where the ball is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So that's so if it's trying to be a big help. Yes. Could be. Potentially but, could be. But, but who knows? But they had no choice here. Like, th- this this was their player procurement period, and that's the end of the story. In March, you couldn't go out and sign guys. No, because but, you made defense a priority in free agency, which led to offense being the priority in the draft. Right, but the day... But, See, I don't agree with you couldn't have signed guys. Well, they could have if they wanted to. But the day... They had options. But the, the parameters for this franchise changed completely the day that Cousins was signed. The day that Cousins was signed, you forfeited the luxury that you had in this town as the Vikings for so long of having cap room. Mm-hmm. And so, so your choices were very specific. Very specific. And and that's why that's why I think it's very intriguing that when Barr said, I want to come back, that they said absolutely yes. Because that was one where you could have said, Anthony, we're sorry, but we can't do it. You didn't. You chose to bring him back. And and so you painted yourself into a corner that left uh Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as your three days to at least try here. And Collar, if you're if you're right, if these guys don't pan out, people get fired. That's gonna be it. So here's what I want to know from you two. Last year, I'll give you the rankings where the Vikings were in expected points added in running and passing. This allows me to figure out how many how many more points we expect them to score. They ranked 22nd in passing, and in rushing they were 29th. So that takes the expected points on a particular play, how many they actually score, and uh, 22nd and 29th rushing, uh, passing first, then rushing. Tell me where you guys think the Vikings will rank in passing and rushing next season. Courtney, you want and to then go we'll first? figure out how many more points that they would score if they ranked where you think they would. Let's let's do this. Under the scenario that Garrett Bradbury and Irv Smith are good, mm-hmm. not all pro, but they're what we think they'll be. Okay. Where will they rank? So I'm gonna start with the run game here. Since I, or I think you just read the stats. It was 27th in rushes per game. And then 30th in rushing yards per game. And 29th in expected points added. So what did we know about the top four teams in the Super Bowl? Top four offenses in the NFL. Scored a lot of points. We're able to keep up with that. And that's something that the Vikings just struggled with last year. They just couldn't score enough. Um, The first down percentage was just even through like the time that John DeFilippo was there. And then even the last three weeks of season didn't change that much. The team just struggled to move the ball. Yep. So where I think they're going to rank in the run game, it's probably going to be a little bit higher than 30th, but I probably wouldn't put it past maybe like 20th, maybe 19th, just because I think that it's going to take some time for this. If we're hedging everything on scheme being the ultimate fixer here, like you have the players to run it now. You have athletic linemen who are all the zone scheme type fits. That's great and everything. Can Dalvin Cook stay healthy? What are you going to do with Alexander Mattison? I think it's Mattison. I'm call you him say that. it Mattison? Well, it's two T's, not Madison. I think you just say Madison. Okay, let's go. As, as a as a Matt, I think I have authority here, All and right. I think you just say Madison. 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 It comes out um, like a D. It does, uh, but there are. <laughs> There are ways. That was, that was, I mean, Trying not to have a Michael Scott moment here. <laughs> Anyways. Don't um, do it. Be that's mature. what she said. Be mature. Couldn't, so, help. couldn't help it. You couldn't do it. Couldn't help it. Sorry, Courtney. I'd like Sorry. to apologize. It's okay. Um, <laughs> She's used to it. So the Vikings, they need a better offensive lineman to be able to run the ball more effectively. And if they're going to move up into at least like the upper half of the NFL in rushing attempts per game and yards per game and points scored, uh, that way, I think that it has to come at the benefit of what you did in the draft, and you went all run game all the time, first four rounds. Um, as far as it goes with the passing game, where did you say they were ranked? Twenty second. I would expect that to to jump a little bit. I really do think that with Irv Smith, they haven't had an F tight end. They haven't had somebody that can move around the field. 
um, and they can manipulate while having, you know, running a lot of 12 personnel. I mean, I'm not saying that this this has the potential of being given both of their skill sets. If you're just looking at it on paper, what Philly did in 2016, the Super Bowl year is exactly what John Filippo wanted to do here last year. It was a strength that he wanted to bring here. He talked about it all offseason. He wanted an F tight end last year. He didn't have one. They had a chance to go get Tyler Higby and make him one in the draft via trade. Didn't happen. You saw what happened with the tight end usage. Kyle Rudolph was cranky about it. He did not like it. He publicly voiced that he didn't feel like he was being used the correct way because he was used to max protect all the time. Now you have a chance to have two dynamic tight ends with two very different skill sets aid in the passing game in ways that we just haven't seen. So I'd expect that to jump up maybe to be like a top 12 passing offense. Is Kyle here then? Yes, in my mind, I'm saying that he's obviously right, here that, because that becomes imperative that he's here. Oh, than, absolutely. And what you're saying, absolutely. Which I'm, which I'm not sure of yet. I'm not sure of either, but that for my, for that yeah. scenario in which I talk about, it's only if Kyle Rudolph's here. So, the rushing game I think goes from 29th to approximately 18th. I think it does jump up because it's going to be it's going to be utilized in a smarter way, which becomes important here. And the passing game I think goes from 22nd to approximately. 14th, but this all goes back to one guy, really, mm-hmm. and it's not Cousins. No. It's Kubiak. Yep. It's Kubiak and his system, and what does he do? Because the Vikings, unfortunately, in 2018, did not marry the quarterback to the coordinator successfully or wisely, so I do believe that this this conversation really relies on the shoulders of one person, and ultimately, on the field, that's Cousins, but off collar, it's Kubiak. I'm doing math here. Because Uh-oh. I'm trying to figure out how many more points you guys math. actually think the Vikings are going to score after this draft. And you guys are pretty close on this. Courtney is a little more enthusiastic. So if we just use the expected points added numbers and they jump to the rankings that you guys have them at, mm-hmm. assuming the teams score at the same rate as they did last year, Courtney, you have them scoring 87 more points, and Judd, you have them scoring 60 more points. So now, as I go look at the total points, last year the Vikings were 19th and scored 360 points. So if they jump by 87, they will be a top 10 offense. Falcons Falcons scored 414 points last year, so they'll be in that range of just barely into the top 10. I don't think that's far-fetched. I really don't. I mean, all of these draft picks with an offensive focus, you're, you're making them because you think you need to score more points to be competitive. So I don't see a reason why that, I don't know. I, I'd i have to go and I guess look at everybody else's draft class to see who else could be in that same range, but I think that that's realistic. I will say that that starting from day one of camp, the positive thing is this is going to make sense now. I have no idea if it's going to work. I have no idea if these kids are going to step in and be immediately successful. But I think there was a big-time disconnect that we saw eventually last year in saying, what exactly are you trying to accomplish here? And unfortunately, the head coach said the same thing, which is never a good thing. I think that what you will see from the day they start their camps, though, is that the system is going to make sense. So at least, at the very least, as a starting point, you're giving yourself a chance, which in 2018 you really didn't do. Mm-hmm. You didn't when, when the head coach has to essentially get up to a podium and continually question it, that's how off the rails things had gone. Okay, so so both of you, if I add 60 to it, it's just barely in the top 10. If I add 87 to what they did last year, they're getting up into the top five range, which I think is probably a little bit too far for what this team can do. But I, if they're going to be actually competitive, and we know they're going to have a very solid defense because Mike Zimmer hasn't had a below-average defense since 2007, so they're going to have a good defense. But where do they need to be to really compete? And I think that top 10 range is where they would have to be. Because last year, top 10 in scoring, just inside the top 10, playoff teams, Seattle, Chargers, Bears, those teams had good defenses. Bears, in their case, had a great defense. If they could try to emulate what the Bears did from last year, having top 10 in scoring. Now, I know some of that was on defense. But just in the big picture, top 10 in scoring, fantastic defense, That's where they have to be to be a legitimate Super Bowl team. I do think if we're asking two rookies to do that much for the offense, that that's probably a little on the hard-to-see side. And you're talking about Irv Smith and Alexander Mattison. No, I'm talking about Garrett Bradbury (laughs) and not your best friend, Mattison. 
I'm going to ask him on Friday how to People pronounce People were mad his name. about what you said on uh, the Purple Podcast. What did I say? I got a few tweets on that. Yeah, that, that's what we were talking about. The, What'd you say? All I said was that I thought of the third round pick could have been spent on a wide receiver. The run on running backs well, did not really... And he traded back what? And he traded three back, times? yeah, if several times. I lost track at that point. And all the players that were available to them... Why are people mad about that? That's a very logical assessment. I think I just think that there's, you know, I wasn't overhyping the running back pick. I think this is a very, very good pick. It's a guy who, just like Latavius Murray, the more carries he gets, the better he gets. He's physical. He runs through contact. He averaged 30 carries a game the last five games of the season at Boise State. Like, he's really, really good. And he's not Dalvin Cook. He's he's the perfect complement to what Dalvin Cook gives you. I just think that maybe you could have found that in later rounds. Maybe you could have found it in an undrafted free agent like Elijah Holyfield, who I think most people got a little testy because we were, we were splitting hairs over 40 times. Mm -hmm. Someone ran a four, six, seven, someone ran a four, seven, eight. Like the end of the day, that doesn't matter to me all that much based on workload and what you can handle. And just the, the, the profile of a running back you're trying to fit there. So I think the biggest question with that third round pick really has to do with the guys who were taken after 81. So they yeah. traded back and traded back and traded back. And I'm not saying that there's anybody here who is a complete game changer, but if I were to tell you a running back who you want to be Latavius Murray, which you and I really like Latavius Murray, but that's a four yard per carry one dimensional guy who's very good at pass protection. Yeah. Okay, you can find that in other places. You can find that on the free agent market. I bet there's some guys who still don't have jobs on the free agent market who could give the Vikings what Latavius Murray did. To remind everybody, Latavius was a six round pick. Just throwing that out there. Justin Lane, the cornerback from Michigan State. There was Galen Ferguson, a defensive end who a lot of people had rated quite a bit higher. Connor McGovern, a lot of offensive line Twitter liked Connor McGovern from Penn State. Trey Pipkins, we had talked about, the guy from Sioux Falls. Miles Boykin, the wide receiver from he's Notre huge Dame. too. Yep. And that's why I mean he's somebody who can take the top off of defense. Jamel, like, yeah, Jamel Dean from uh, the cornerback from Auburn. Dawson Knox, even if they took two good tight ends, would that have been a problem? And he, I mean, even Will Greer is taken right before uh, Alexander Madison. So I think if you're making that case, it's part of it is you traded down to pass on a pretty good crop of players that was still remaining to take someone that you're hyping up as the next Latavius Murray, which is a good but nothing more than good number two running back. Mm-hmm. That That's where you would probably question it. Uh, as far as the other two picks, if you want to play this same game before we take a break and uh, Sam Ekstrom jumps in here, the first round pick with Garrett Bradbury, if you were just talking best player available, Jeffrey Simmons was a top five talent who's not going to play this year. And Vikings Twitter and Vikings fans would have melted down about that for sure. But Noah Fant, we talked a lot about. Andre Dillard, we talked a lot about. Montez Sweat, defensive end. Guy I really liked was Jerry Tillery, who ended up going to the Chargers. DeAndre Baker, the corner. Uh, Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver. Like, I mean, I think if we play this game with all of the picks, what we find is, wait a minute, you guys are saying that your third round pick is to fill an immediate need? Yes, that's like, really. That's very much what they told you. Like, that's that's it. Yes. Okay, let's figure this out. Then. Yeah, they took they took three to four rounds of, of basically seeing these players as offensive guys that can step in immediately. Right or wrong, that's exactly it. Now, they'll lie and say, no, 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 we, we think that these guys are going to be great. But from what I could see, they spent four rounds addressing immediate needs in, in the hope that guys can step into play, knowing full well that if they're wrong, they're in huge trouble. So I'm looking last year, in the third round, how many players became regular starters? Early third round, a number of guys did last year. Past the 75th pick, I got one, two, three, four last year. Past the 75th pick in the third round. It's, it's pretty rare that somebody in the third round is like a big-time right third round type back, of guy. But the, the third round back is, is going to step in in a backup role. We think, the, yeah. the, the fear... I don't think it's a backup role. I think it's a... a complimentary role. Complimentary split load role. But the fear and the problem is, is I think they took him... Uh, fairly high for that position based on the fact that Delvin Cook doesn't stay healthy. Yeah. That's why. That's the problem. All right. Well, we'll take, we'll put a pin in this. We'll come back to this. We're going to have Sam Ekstrom from Zone Coverage coming up next. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. 
Jamarcus Epps is really good as well. Marcus Epps is a heck of a football player. My goodness, that guy was everywhere making plays left and right. He is a three-time captain. They rely on him not for just his playing ability, but his leadership. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin of ESPN, and joining us from Zone Coverage, covers the Minnesota Vikings, Sam Ekstrom. Hi, Sam. What's up? How you doing, man? Pleasure to be on your show as usual. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Sam. Uh, Sam, let's talk a little bit about day three, and then we can get into the big topics. Uh, The number of gritty and scrappy players that they selected here in day three, Sam, was there anybody to you that... Uh, stood out. <laughs> was there? But day three was there anybody that you could see as being someone that could make an impact right away? Yes, um, I think Armin Watts, the sixth round pick, defensive tackle out of Arkansas. Just the way the roster shakes out, could be that guy this year. And I said the same thing last year about Jalen Holmes. I thought he was going to be one of the more impactful Vikings, and I was wrong. But if you look at what he did for one year in the SEC, he's got pro-ready size. Um, it, you get the feeling he can probably play a little bit of nose, a little bit of three-tech. And with what Andre Patterson is usually able to do with these sort of raw products, I like what Armin Watts offers. Um, had a huge senior year, obviously. Did basically nothing before that. They brought in a, a new coaching staff that sort of brought the most out of him. Seven sacks, three forced fumbles. And from what I've read technically and what I've seen, he, he seems to have really good footwork and, and uh, handwork on the, the interior there. So I like Armand Watts. Um, again, we're sort of throwing darts at this point, but of the nine, I think that's the one that kind of caught my eye. I think it's interesting when you took a, take a look at his, the past rush grades of some of the top prospects. Um, it was Quinn and Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, and then Armin Watts. Of all draft-eligible SEC defensive interior linemen, he mm. was third, which you talk about a guy who's very raw as a prospect. He only really played a full season in 2018 after having like six games under his belt the first two years after he yeah. redshirted. That's a really good sign to me, um, and I agree with you. I think that he's somebody who you take a look at Shamar Stefan, who was his NFL draft comparison. I think he probably is more athletic than Stefan, and I'm curious to see how they're able to— Sneaky athletic, would you say? Sneaky athletic. Um, very, yeah, he's a great wingspan. Um, but, Sam, I mean, we talked about this earlier. Like When you take a look at throwing the darts at all of these prospects in the sixth, seventh round— you know, the wide receiver group really stresses me out because, yeah, you have guys with, you know, great catch radius. Some guys who are probably a little quicker than fast. <laughs> uh, but it seems like we're looking at Stacey Coley and Rodney Adams all over again. Some guys with some oily hips, Sam. That's the exact comparison that I was going to make. When two years ago they got Adams, they got Coley, and, and I think they were hoping to kind of land on one. And Adams didn't even make the team year one. Coley was injury-prone perpetually. I think he, he actually had potential as a receiver, but he, he could never stay on the field, so that didn't work out. Um, yeah, you're right, Courtney. Two seventh-round receivers. I mean, they, they didn't exactly shoot their shot at receiver early on. Now, if, you, if you're under the impression that Irv Smith is going to become that extra pass catcher that they needed – Maybe that makes the extra receiver a little more superfluous. But I thought wide receiver, to be honest, was, was the number three need on this team. And Agreed. it's probably a little higher than most people had. But behind uh, offensive line, behind defensive tackle, which, again, they didn't address that very early either, I felt like wide receiver was a huge need because we saw what teams could do to shut down Dayson Thielen because they didn't have a third option last year. I mean, Aldrick Robinson was arguably their third-best receiver, and he – didn't get re-signed in free agency. So, again, uh, maybe Herb Smith is that guy, but they're just going to have a bunch of kind of camp bodies in there. Maybe one or two of them stands out and makes this roster, but you're, you're not really looking at a lot of high upside in their receiving room right now. Were you surprised then, given where some of the receivers fell on this board, that they use a third-round pick on Alexander Madison? Because this team just doesn't draft receivers high. And yes, you can look at the examples of having an undrafted college free agent in Adam Thielen. You can look at Stephon Diggs as a fifth-round pick and say, okay, well, they can find diamonds in the rough or whatever you want to call it. But it just felt to me that this should have been a need, given some of the guys that were there 
that you would swap out and potentially find a running back elsewhere, fourth, fifth round, and go receiver high. And they just haven't done that in recent years. Yeah, that was a little befuddling when I believe Riley Ridley was on the board, uh, Kelvin Harmon, who a lot of people liked first two days, didn't go to around six. He was on the board. I loved Stanley Morgan Jr., Nebraska kid. Um, there were a lot of options at receiver out there that they just didn't uh, pull the trigger on. And the Vikings kind of counterintuitively have been super into taking running backs highly in the draft. When you look at Cook, second round, McKinnon, third round, and now Madison, third round, it kind of goes against the grain of the NFL where you've got undrafted and seventh round success stories coming out of the woodwork every other week in the NFL because there's so much attrition at that position. Someone like Philip Lindsay, who comes out of nowhere and is one of the best backs in the league for Denver a year ago, no one was talking about him during the draw. But that happens all the time where you have these backs that you find off the street and sometimes their success kind of just correlates to how good is your passing game and how good is your offensive line. I don't know if it's as much about the back themselves. So that was a little peculiar to me. Um, certainly an eyeball emoji or two on that you follow on that one. <laughs> Talking with Zan, uh, Sam Ekstrom of Zone Coverage now. Sam, the Vikings have decided to spend a good amount of cash to bring in Jake Browning from Washington. 2016, the guy threw 43 touchdowns, but he hasn't really um, done much since then. Now, I know that Vikings fans get googly eyes when they watch Kyle Sloter in the fourth, uh, fourth <laughs> quarter of preseason games. But uh, what do you make now of the backup quarterback competition? Is there one with Jake Browning here, or is this just an expensive camp body? Well, if there was ever a year when a UDFA was going to come in and actually contend for a, a QB2 job or maybe even a QB3, it would be this year because the Vikings have two sort of preseason-only backups in Mannion and Sloter. Sloter's got the far better preseason resume for what it's worth. I mean, you can't put too much weight on quarter four of the fourth preseason game. Um, but, you know, Browning's going to have a shot maybe to be that third as well if the Vikings decide, okay, we're going to choose between Floater and Mannion for QB2. We'll cut the other one and have Browning be the new developmental guy. Maybe that's the play because the Vikings have often – chosen to have their third quarterback as the undrafted guy with uh, Heineke, whether uh, Heineke going into Slaughter and now maybe it's Browning next in line. I can't remember the last time I really saw a, uh, a UDFA quarterback come in and wow me. You know, Slaughter didn't come up with the Vikings. It came up with the Broncos. Um, but again, maybe they, they mix them in with the threes now and then um, and, and sort of give him those opportunities in OTAs and, and training camp where he can actually show something. They're always up against the eight ball, these fourth quarterbacks, because they're playing with patchwork offensive lines and usually pretty unskilled position players, so they don't have a lot going for them. Maybe this is a year, though, that uh, the fourth QB on the depth chart makes a move. Okay, Sam, before you came on, we were talking about how much better the Vikings could be in a scenario in which Bradbury and Smith are exactly what the Vikings hope they'll be. So we're not saying all pro, but hoping they will step right in and contribute and be good. All right. So how much better will they be? And the way we were going off, it was an expected points last year. The Vikings were 22nd in passing and 29th in rushing. So how much better passing and rushing are they now that they have an offensive lineman and have solidified the interior and another receiving option? Sure. In terms of Bradbury, I think he's a great pick. You know, he was the safe pick. Everybody expected it to be Bradbury. Um, the coaches targeted him. The fans targeted him. Draft Twitter was all over him, and they took him. Like, that never actually seems to happen, but it did <laughs> yeah. this year. And I know you were playing the skeptic maybe a little earlier in the show, and I, I'll play the skeptic here in that he is only one-fifth of the line. Um, I'm not sure that having his presence is going to change Kurt Cousins' skittishness in the pocket necessarily, unless he's so well protected that he just gains confidence and stops seeing ghosts to, to throw a cliche at you. Maybe that will have sort of an intangible impact, but look at injuries. I mean, the Vikings have been ravaged with injuries on this line for three straight years. They've gone with five, six, seven O-line combinations each year. And 
you know, suddenly you might have Bradbury being thrown into a position where, oh, okay, he's got to play left guard now, or they've, they've got to make some positional changes midseason, which throws off the chemistry. So I, I can't guarantee that that's going to be um, exactly, you know, it's not going to play out perfectly. But in your scenario, if it plays out perfectly, um, I think the running game improves, and I, I'm not I'm not as convinced about the passing game. Now, Irv Smith could be, a beneficiary, certainly, because, you know, you talked, Courtney, about not going in and getting that third wide receiver. Well, maybe that's because Irv Smith does a lot of wide receiver things with where he lines up. He's got that athletic threat downfield. He can work between the hashes. Uh, he's going to line up quite a bit in the slot. We're not sure yet, you know, how much he's going to coexist with Kyle Rudolph, but maybe they can veer more away from the three wide receiver sets and go to sort of a 12 personnel. Um, I think there's improvement there, but again, I don't think that, that two guys in an 11-man offense can necessarily change who Kirk Cousins was, and I think he was the source, again, of a lot of that angst offensively a year ago. Um, but, you know, maybe year two is the magic charm. Maybe Kirk Cousins is way more comfortable in the offense with what Kubiak is doing. It seems like everybody is super familiar with this Kubiak system, right? So maybe that's uh, just the formula they need. All right, Sam, great stuff. You can follow him at Sam Ekstrom. He came in here. We gave him space, and he was good in space. He brought a high motor, um, had great bursts to your answers, even though you fought through some uh, adversary, uh, a- adversity. He's a real and, glass um, eater. You know, Sam, you're can can part ask, of our football do, family do the here. So, know, huh? Do those listeners know the source of your cliche no. brain today? Nope, no. and they okay. will never know anything. <laughs> Everybody knows high motor and glass eater, Sam, which is exactly how I would describe you. So, uh, well, great stuff. You do awesome work at Zone Coverage. At Sam, S-A-M, Ekstrom, E-K-S-T-R-O-M is where you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, Great job in the Bucky Bowl over the weekend, Sam, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. We'll see you at Rookie Tryouts on Friday. Hell yeah, we will. Football. It's my favorite day of the year. (laughs) All right, Sam. Thanks a lot, man. Later. All right, we'll take a quick break. Jordan Renan will tell us about what in the hell the New York Jets are doing when we come back on the show. You're listening to Purple Daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.